to know what it means to be his people. And then in the collecting of those books, we get what we know today as the Bible, as God's word. 66 different books by 35 authors collected and preserved by the church for the church so that we could know who God is and what he's about. And it became known as the Bible. Uh, so the Bible authors didn't even know that a Bible was coming. And yet the things that they wrote, because the church knew that they gave us what we need to know about who God is, became what we have today the Bible. And it's that whether it's on your phone or in a binding or any form. Media doesn't matter. Uh, but what does the Bible claim about itself? What does Scripture tell us about this book that we have from God, about God's Word? Hebrews 4.12 says this, that the Word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And it's important that we think about it this way. There's a line that you'll hear all the time when we, more and more people will say, are we really letting our lives be controlled by a 2,000-year-old book? As if the book, once it was closed, became a, a relic a part of history, something that belonged in museums, something of antiquity. But the Bible itself says that the Word of God is alive and active. Amen. And it's sharper than a sword, and that's a weird image to have, that it's sharper than a sword, um, in part because we don't really use swords today. But it, but it has this image of a sword that can just slice the bits of you apart and separate the parts of you and reveal what is good and bad in you. That there is something about the Word of God that cuts to the heart of things, that reveals things about those who read it. Which is why in James chapter 1, uh, it describes the Word of God as a mirror. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They'll be blessed in what they do. What James is essentially saying is, is listen, when you read the Word of God, it's going to show you yourself. When you read the Gospels and you see how Jesus is living, what Jesus is teaching, how Jesus is calling his disciples to be, that should be a mirror that helps you go, oh man, I see how I'm doing that in my life. Or it may reveal to you that you see how you don't look as much like Jesus as you ought to. That you have things about your life that you need to change. So the sword cuts to the heart of things. And the mirror reveals how we look to God and to God's eyes and his point of view. And it allows us to make the changes or the affirmations in our life that we need. But not all of Scripture is intended for that. Luke uh, says the beginning of, his uh, beginning of his gospel. Luke wrote two books, the, uh, his gospel, Luke, and then also the book of Acts. And he tells us why he's writing at the beginning of it. And Luke's an important writer because even though Paul has so many different books in the New Testament, Luke has more words just in two books. Luke says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those 
who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke's an investigator. He goes out and he collects stories from eyewitnesses, and he then goes and interviews more people to check the testimony of the eyewitnesses against the testimony of other eyewitnesses. And he says many people have undertaken and made an attempt to write about these things before. Uh, one of the things that's, that's interesting is if you go read Mark's gospel first, and then you go read Luke's gospel, one of the things you start to realize is, hey, I think Luke copied some of Mark's stuff here. And he did. You know how we know that he did? He tells us he did. Many people have written about this. He had Mark's gospel. And, and they've tried to create an orderly account, but he had Mark's gospel, and he also had other eyewitness accounts, and he wants to strengthen the story. He wants to add detail to it. Um, Mark, if you read it straight through, there's times, there's things that are happening so fast, you almost get out of breath reading Mark's gospel. And Luke says, I want to give you more details. I want to give you more teachings. I want to tell you about more miracles, and he, and he lengthens it. And he adds to it. And how's he adding to it? By doing the research and investigating people to find out what really happened. Why is he doing all of that? So that we might have the strengthening of our faith. Luke says, listen, if you read my story, the things that you believe, you will believe them more because you've read them. You will be blessed by this. Psalm 119, which we read a little bit from earlier, uh, says this about God's word and law, your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. There's this idea in the Psalms that over and over again, uh, God's word, God's wisdom, God's truth, God's law, God's statutes blesses you, it guides you. It's a light that guides your feet. It's a path that you can follow. Psalm 119 uh, is the longest chapter uh, in all of Scripture. And it's so long because they took every letter uh, of the Hebrew alphabet. And for each letter, they started seven lines about why God's Word is so good. Let me start with A and give you seven reasons God's Word is so good. Let me go to B and tell you why God's Word is so good. And it goes through the entire alphabet. And the idea by the end of this psalm is... All of the letters and all of the words cannot even begin to describe how good God's word is. All of life is told and blessed and, and enriched by the reading and knowing and the following of God's word. It's a beautiful psalm. We don't have the, the imagery of the alliteration at the beginning of each line because it, it, the English alphabet is so different than the Hebrew alphabet, but, but knowing that that much detail was given to the describing of God's Word is a blessing to us. But how do we read it? How do we read it? Um, there's so many different genres and there's so many different... If, if we were all just saying, if we just read the Bible and do what it says, uh, all of Christianity would be the same. Well, we know from our experience that even among people that say, we're just going to do what the Bible says and nothing else, they look different. They do things differently. If you read through Scripture, one of the things you'll find out is that there's some commands in there that we don't follow. 
There's an Old Testament command uh, to not wear clothing with mixed fibers. So if you're wearing a polycotton blend today, you are not following all the commands of Scripture. There's a, a, a journalist a couple years ago, I think his name's A.J. Jacobs, who went about, uh, wanted to spend a year trying to follow all the commands in the Bible. All of them. The ones in the Old Testament, the ones in the New Testament, the ones he understood, the ones he didn't understand. Uh, he is not a person of faith. And, and, and so at times in the book, he's encountering some of these teachings and, and doing it in ways that are, are, sat, are clearly satire. He's making a joke out of the obedience to some of the commands. Uh, for example, polycotton blends being immoral and so throwing all those out um, and instead wearing what looks like a, a Jesus tunic and uh, sandals and taking a shepherd's crook and walking around uh, Central Park with a sheep. Okay, he's not trying to become a disciple of Jesus. In, in some ways, he's making a, a mockery of some of the instructions. Uh, he had a goal to follow all of the commands by the end of the year, so one of the commands is to stone adulterers. Um, Lord, yeah. So he put a few pebbles in his pocket, hoping that an opportunity would present itself where he could stone an adulterer. He didn't want to kill them, but he thought he at least needed to throw a few pebbles at them. Um, as, it, as it works out in the book, uh, some guy says, why are you dressed so weird? And he says, here's what I'm trying to do. And the guy says, how's that going? And he says, I'm having a hard time finding an adulterer to stone. And he goes, you're going to stone an adulterer? And he goes, well, if I find one, who wouldn't mind? And he goes, I'm an adulterer. Are you going to stone me? And he goes, would you mind? I said, I've got these pebbles here. And he's like, are you serious? I was like, if, if you don't mind, I, it would be great, because I'm not sure how to knock this one off my list. And the guy's like, yeah, go ahead. And so he threw a couple rocks at him, and he said, and the guy picked them up and started throwing them back even harder, and it didn't go the way that he'd hoped. Um, in going through this exercise, he actually has a couple of mentors, some Christians, some Jewish, that, that are giving him advice and trying to help him understand the real meaning behind some of these commands. And yet, much of his book is, is not intended to be the life of faith. And yet, there are those of us who are here today who don't read our Bible nearly as much as he did that year, who do a better job of living out what Jesus calls us to do in the pages of this book, what God calls us to do in the pages of this book. It needs interpretation. You can't just say, the Bible says it, that I believe it, that settles it. There's too much work that still needs to be done in taking this and, and applying it to our lives. If we just tried to follow it strictly, literally, we'd get into trouble. Um, there's a command in the New Testament to greet one another with holy kiss. I can tell you that story about Jeff and Alton at the, at the arena would be differently if we followed that command. It would have gone very different. It would have been way more uncomfortable if we were all in the habit of kissing each other hello. Now, are there countries where people regularly greet one another with kisses and where that's very normal? Absolutely. And that happens there. But it's, we understand that that's a cultural greeting. The command really means greet one another with warmth and affection and as you would the closest of friends. We do that. And it makes an impact on the world who sees it. There's commands that need to do, that need to have the work of interpreting it. And so the question becomes, how do we do the work of understanding how to read Scripture? Um, 
when churches of Christ were really kind of coming into the, the formation of, of churches that we have now in the United States, uh, there were a couple of kind of interpretive guides that we had. One of them was uh, where the Bible speaks, we speak, and where it is silent, we are silent. Now, that's a good rule uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, what it says is uh, we're going to do what the Bible says. We are Bible people, and the Bible guides us. But it can at times be restrictive. It can be used to not say, uh, there's kind of two ways to understand that saying, right? One of them is, uh, if the Bible talks about it, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to be of one voice with Scripture. But there's also this idea uh, that if the Bible doesn't talk about it, either we don't talk about it or argue about it, or it could mean where the Bible doesn't say what to do, we just don't do anything that's not in the Bible. Well, that becomes problematic, doesn't it? Because in that way, when the Bible doesn't talk about something, it becomes restrictive in how we think about it. It can be uh, prohibitive in saying, well, the Bible doesn't talk about this thing, so you shouldn't do it. We'll be silent on that. Uh, when you go in that direction, we lose a lot of the freedom in Christ that I think belongs to us. And so there was another kind of interpretive lens that went like this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity, uh, or in all things, love. And I think this one's really helpful because it, it kind of gives you this idea that when you're reading Scripture, if there's something in there that is essential, that, that Jesus Christ was crucified and resurrected, we're going to be united in declaring that. If there's something that's essential, like Jesus saying, uh, listen, I, you need to be baptized into me to be saved. Whoever's born again of water is born again of spirit. Uh, if you believe and are baptized, you will be saved. That's pretty important. We need to be on the same page about that. So in essentials, unity. And that unity is, is not always easy. Unity has to be worked out. So if, if you believe something is essential, and I believe that it's essential, and we disagree, we've got to do some work to kind of work through that and find out where the unity is in our obedience to things that matter the most. We need to be united. Now, what's the other side of that? In non-essentials, liberty. So what does that mean? Well, there's going to be some things in Scripture that aren't essential. I believe you can wear polycotton blends and still be saved. That's non-essential. Well, you're saying I can wear whatever type of fabric I want? Yeah, you can. Uh, and the reason you can is because it's not essential, and so you have liberty. You have the freedom to choose how you handle that situation. Um, how many songs do we need to include in the worship service each Sunday? Is that essential? Is it essential to praise God and give Him glory and honor? Yeah. Is it essential that we do it for the right number of songs? No, that's non-essential. So we have liberty in that. And in all things, love. All things love. That's essential, the love, because it's a reminder that even as we're working out our frustrations, even as we're working out what is essential and what's non-essential, even as I'm trying to convince you that you're wrong, I shouldn't be a jerk about it. we got to love each other through this stuff. And it's not always easy. 
and it doesn't always feel good. And so over and over again in Paul's letters to churches where people are trying to do this in the first century world, he's giving them instructions on how to get along. You know why? Because it's hard. It's hard when people from all their different cultures and contexts and backgrounds and all their different baggage, they come together and, and, and they want to, to be God's people. It's hard. And so he has to give them instructions like, like, listen, be humble and put the interest of others above your own. If you've received any blessing from being in Christ Jesus, then be like him making yourself nothing and serving others for the, for the purpose of the kingdom. So many of Paul's instructions to churches are about humility because humility is key to unity. So in all things, love. And when we have that kind of an approach to Scripture, it opens the door for more permissive life of faith a more uh, inclusive life of faith, that people that disagree about a lot of things can come together as long as they agree about the essential things and as long as they are loving to one another. And it gives us room to become a people uh, who is sorting this stuff out. I've got a little bit of time and a lot of sermon left. She said, someone said preach. Some of you laugh. Those are two different things. You see, that's the non-essentials that we're working out here. I want to I stop here. We're going to pick this up next week. We're going to pick this up next week. Um, and here's, here's why. Go one more slide forward. Um, I, I want to kind of dig into some of this a little bit. Uh, this is the Wesleyan quadrilateral. I don't even think John Wesley came up with it. He never came up with it, at least in this clear of a way, and he never drew a picture for it. But it's what it's kind of come to know about. Uh, it's one of the, it's very commonly used in the Methodist church. Um, I'm not saying this is key to you understanding how to read the Bible, but I think it's helpful to think about the influences that we have when we are reading. No one approaches Scripture in a vacuum. Uh, and, and let me kind of say what I mean here. Scripture is core and it's essential to the life of faith and to being the people of God as individuals, but also as a community of people. And our traditions, whether that's denominations or church history or spiritual practices or the, the writings of the church, uh, influence how we think about what it means to be people of faith and to be the church today. Now, some people, traditions matter a lot. To some, it matters less, but it does matter. Um, this morning, our worship order, if you were visiting, um, it was kind of the welcome and then the opening prayer and then the scripture and then we, we stood for the scripture and then we stood for the first song and then we sat for the rest of the songs and then after like three, there was a, that order uh, will be the same next week. It just will be. Um, we haven't planned the order of worship for next week, but it's going to be the same. Do you know how I know it is? It's one of our traditions. There is nowhere in Scripture that says that it should go in that order or that's when you stand and sit. But we all know. Why? Traditions. Is that essential to how we practice our faith? No. So we have liberty in that. But it is part of how we come together as a community and do those things. Reason factors into it. Science and philosophy and logic uh, change how we think about Scripture and how we read it, how we apply it to our lives. And then also your personal experience. Your emotions, your shared experiences, your, the stories and testimonies of other people. Um, one of the things that, that is incredible about Alpha is people tell their stories and you hear their stories of faith. And that enriches your discipleship. 
It, it enriches your understanding of what God's up to in the world when you hear what he's up to in other people's lives or when you tell people what he's up to in your life. And it's not always good. Uh, one of the things that, that someone was sharing with me a few weeks ago was it is hard for me when I'm reading the Bible and it talks about God being a father. Because every time a father's in charge in my world, someone's getting hurt. And I don't think that's what Scripture's trying to tell me about who God is. And so I've got to unlearn some of what I associate with father in order to understand what it means that God wants to be my dad. That's heavy stuff. And there's so many different ways that our experiences um, paint how we read the words that God's given us. And so I want to kind of get into that a little bit next week. That's where we're going to kind of go. Um, because I want us to kind of recognize that the, the Scripture is so rich and it is so complex. And the more that we're willing to kind of do the work in community of working through what it says and what it means and being the people who live according to the book, the more that, that we're able to do that well, the more we can be who God's calling us to be. I don't have a real good ending to the middle of my sermon. Here's what you need to know. Um, there's a lot of translations of the Bible. There's a lot of different versions. It comes in a lot of different languages. It's not quite in all the languages of the world yet. There are people who are working on getting it there so that the gospel can go into every corner of the world and every, every nation and every tribe and tongue because that's who praises God in the end is people from every community, tribe, and tongue come together and give glory to God with one voice. And so with all the different things uh, that Scripture says, and with all the different people that have ever read it, there is not a translation or version of the Bible that if you read it will keep you from knowing who God is and that He loves you. They all tell that story. They tell the story of how we don't know if we can live in God's presence, but through Jesus Christ living in our presence and dying on the cross, we can now have God's presence dwell in us if we become His people through faith and obedience and baptism. If you're here today and that story sounds good and you want it to be your story, come forward this morning as we stand and sing.